Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I'm going it alone this week for the official third installment of our deep dive into the theory that Jonestown was secretly a CIA medical experiment. Sure, we're taking the long way around here. So far, we've done an overview of the official version of events on the first episode. The second episode was about Operation Paperclip, which is an American intelligence project that brought Nazi researchers and scientists and their families to the United States after World War II. In between those episodes and this one, We've also done some bonus episodes. One was about Unit 731, which is another set of shady scientists and researchers we absorbed into the American government after World War II, except that group was from Japan. And then last week, we updated one of our early episodes about MKUltra, a project that was born out of those collaborations with Nazi scientists. And those updates were all about the kind of weird circumstances behind the publishing of the book Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment? And the author of the book, who is very hard to track down, if you can even do it at all, good luck. The point of all those episodes was to drive home the fact that in the years, or more like decades, after World War II, the American government was very interested in weird medical experiments and what they could teach us about mind control and chemical warfare, and things of the like. All of those episodes, for the most part, were culled from sources other than the book that prompted this series. The information in today's episode, though, comes almost entirely from chapter two of that book. Of course, I'm not going to read the book verbatim or only talk about what's in the book. Trust me, I have some opinions on it. Don't you worry about that. Also, this particular chapter of the book especially is way, way, way too long for me to cover it all in the space of one podcast episode. If you want to read more, I did find a place where you can do that. I mentioned on an earlier episode that in addition to this book, San Diego State University has a huge trove of documents and research related to Jonestown, including the possibility of CIA involvement. And there's a PDF copy of this book on that site. Just go to jonestown.sdsu.edu and search for it. That's also the URL where you'll find all of their other stuff about Jonestown. Enjoy that rabbit hole. As for today, I'm going to talk about chapter two of that book, which attempts to draw a direct line from Nazi Germany to the people who founded and oversaw the Jonestown Project. And interestingly enough, it all centers around one single family. And no, it's not the Jim Jones family. That would be way too easy of an answer. It starts with a guy named Hugo Philip, who was a wealthy German banker and stockbroker. He represented lots of really upstanding German companies like IG Farben, the makers of Zyklon B, the gas the Nazis used to murder Jews. Right out of the gate. That's an important detail. I mean, it's obviously an important detail, just in the big scheme of things. But we'll get to why it's important to this in just a few minutes. Anyway, Hugo Philip married a woman named Anita Lee Helbert, the daughter of a wealthy stockbroker in 1914. The couple's first child, Lisa, was born a year later. A second child, Eva, was born a year after that. If you know your history, you know that after World War I, the Treaty of Versailles just wrecked the German economy. That's a big part of why World War II happened. We really left Germany feeling hurt after World War I. But despite all that, Lisa and Ava Philip lived in relative luxury. They had a private school, fancy vacations, the whole bit. Hugo had a massive ultra-modern house built for the family in Hamburg. Lots of live-in servants, very rich. The elites of German society as Hitler was taking power. 
After graduating high school, Eva moved on to Austria to train as a pediatric nurse in Himmler's Lebensborn program, which was a state-supported program to just crank out as many future Nazi babies as possible. There's not much information about what Lisa Philip did in the years immediately after graduating, but it stands to reason that it was also some Nazi shit. What we do know is that in April 1938, the American consulate in Germany issued her a visa to the United States. And this is an important point in the story because it's where the official version and the conspiracy theory version start to diverge. If you believe the official government-sanctioned version of what happened at Jonestown, the Philip family were Jewish, and they started fleeing Germany around this point, which makes the part where one of their daughters trained under the Nazis kind of weird. But not if you believe the Jonestown CIA version, which instead argues that the Philip family were Nazis who pretended to defect to the United States so they could serve the Third Reich under deep cover in America. Does that sound crazy? It shouldn't. We know spies are a thing. One of the first to leave, even before Lisa, was Hugo Phillips' cousin, Dr. James Frank. That's an important name. He is a pioneer in nuclear science who made some huge breakthroughs that earned him a Nobel Prize in 1925. Again, what happens next is the subject of some debate. As history tells it, when the Nazis outlawed non-Aryans working in government-related organizations, Dr. Frank took the bold and brave step of resigning his position and publishing one of the few objections to that new law. And with that, he fled Germany and was welcomed in the United States, where we gave him top-secret clearance so he could keep building that bomb that we wanted so badly. Or the other theory, as presented in this book is that the Nazis wanted that nuclear bomb, but they knew they needed U.S. money and resources to build it. So they created the defector story to get access to those resources. One thing that's worth considering here, by 1933, which is when that law went into place, the Nazis were absolutely terrorizing what remained of the free press. So the fact that Dr. Frank managed to even get that objection published is almost as impressive as his work building bombs. I mean, unless, again, his defection was a Nazi-supported cover story. Either way, it worked. Dr. James Frank came to the U.S. and started working for the good guys. That's us. As for the rest of the family, the claim the book makes is that to get to America, the Philip family, with the help of the Nazi party, created a fake Jewish backstory to give the impression that they'd be persecuted if they stayed in Germany. But it was an apparently flimsy cover story, seeing as how the family had no history of attending any synagogues or celebrating any Jewish holidays. They did have quite a history of entertaining their Aryan friends at Christmas, though. But the book also contends that this was part of the plan, because there was also fake evidence planted in the backstory that suggested the entire family was homosexual which I don't think that's how that works. But back then, no one knew how that worked. What we did know is that the only group the Nazis hated more than Jews was homosexuals. And then after homosexuals, everybody who wasn't Nazis. So we decided that the Philip family was pretending to be Jewish to get out of Germany because they were too ashamed to admit they needed to flee because they were gay. And we bought it. The Philip family was granted asylum. And at this point in the theory, Eva falls off the map. She does not return to the story whatsoever. But Lisa very much does. And just a reminder, Eva and Lisa, the daughters of Hugo and Anita Phillip. So Lisa, one interesting thing about her, almost immediately upon setting foot on U.S. soil, she joins the Quakers. And from there, for about the next 30 years, doesn't mention anything at all about being Jewish. So there's that to consider when it comes to the cover story she used to flee Germany. As for Lisa's parents, Hugo and Anita, the book makes the somewhat shocking claim that they stayed behind for a few years and helped other Nazis get to the United States. And now, never let it be said that I don't approach this stuff objectively. Because here's the thing, I don't think the timeline really adds up for that part to be correct. Granted, that 
in no way, shape, or form means I don't suspect the CIA was involved in Jonestown. But the claim is that Hugo and Anita Phillip helped Nazis escape using something that the book calls rat runs, but history has come to know as rat lines. And these are the routes the Catholic Church helped set up to allow Nazis to escape Europe at the end of World War II. That's all real. Google it if you want. The Catholic Church very much helped Nazis flee to safety. But the problem with the timeline in this book is that the Phillips, Hugo and Anita, are said to have worked on the rat lines in Italy until 1939, at which point they began their departure to the United States. But as far as I can tell, rat lines didn't become a thing until 1942, at the earliest, and those were in Spain. So that's a little off. But also... The implication here is that a house they bought in Italy around this time was used as a stop on the rat lines. So maybe there was a lot of pre-planning and buying that house was their only role in it all. Either way, the author does make another interesting point that speaks to the likelihood that the Philip family might have been secret Nazis. After buying that house in Italy, they went back to Germany to get their stuff and have it shipped to Italy. This is at a time when Germany had shut down their borders. The Phillips were rich, and their cover story for sending their kids to Germany was that they were Jewish and would be persecuted if they returned to or had to stay in Germany. So if they really were Jewish, how did they get all their wealthy people possessions out of the country? I get that rich people have means that the rest of us do not, but that still seems like a pretty tall order. There's also the thing where the Italian government ordered all aliens to leave the country, and since we hadn't dropped a nuke by then, that still just meant people not from Italy. And despite that order, for some reason, Hugo and Anita Philip were allowed to stay for an extra year. So I don't know. If they weren't full-on Nazis, they certainly seemed to have Nazi-adjacent qualities to them. And by the 1940s, the whole team was in the United States. And again, the contention here is that they were all sent here with the blessing of the Nazis, as opposed to fleeing Germany to escape the Nazis. Either way, the connections between this family and Jonestown start almost immediately upon arriving in the country. Around mid-1940, James Frank, Lisa Philip, and her German boyfriend, Franz Werner, were all working at Pennsylvania State College. Lisa worked as a physical therapist at the University Hospital. Dr. Frank was a physics professor, and Franz Werner was one of his students. And at one point, Dr. Frank and Franz Werner befriend a promising young scientist named Lawrence Layton. And if you're familiar with the Jonestown story at all, you know that name really well, because Larry Layton would go on to be the only person prosecuted over what happened at Jonestown. But this is not that Larry Layton. It is Larry Layton's dad, though, but the connections don't stop there. Anyway, to get his doctoral degree, Lawrence Layton had to learn German. And that's when a weird thing happens. Franz Werner not only suggests that Lisa Philip, his girlfriend, should be Lawrence Layton's German tutor, he also suggests that maybe they should start dating. That's weird. And what's even weirder is that all happened. That's how Lawrence Baird Layton and Lisa Philip started dating. Her German, possibly Nazi uncle, and her German, possibly Nazi boyfriend, both saw some sort of potential in Lawrence Layton and decided he should be dating Lisa Phillip. And what did everyone like so much about Lawrence Baird Layton? Well, he was crazy smart, so there was that. If you've come to the country on some secret Nazi shit, hoping to build a nuclear bomb, if you spot talent, you're going to try and recruit it. How smart was he? In 1932, he completed a year-long course on differential calculus in two weeks. He was also relatively well off. Sure, he was born and raised in West Virginia, but his family was one of the wealthier families in the area, meaning they were the first to have running water and electricity. Not joking about that. That was what made them the richest ones in the area. Also, apparently his mother, Eva Layton, was obsessed with family heritage and preserving bloodlines. So much so that she married her own cousin. And apparently Lawrence Baird Layton was equally interested in things like that. So that definitely would have endeared him to a pack of former Nazis. But let's get back to how smart this guy was. In the midst of being one of the most brilliant minds at his school, a 
really weird thing happens. He leaves college in the middle of his sophomore year to go live with his mom and her new husband in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And while he's there, he does exactly one thing and one thing only. He joins and becomes president of the Young People's Socialist League, which is a group of Jewish immigrants who, for some reason, elected Lawrence, who was very much not Jewish, as their leader. And he does that for 18 months or so and then returns to school as a sophomore with a paid teaching position and a grant. That's a weird side quest, right? No, not if you take any stock at all in what the book suggests that break in his studies might have been about. What if he was spying on that group? We are talking about a guy who goes on to a lifetime of government employment. And he did come back to school with a job and extra money, even though his activities during that break had no relation to his college work. And we know that's a thing the government does routinely. History is littered with stories of the tiniest of environmental groups finding out they'd been infiltrated by the government. Lawrence Layton being tasked with infiltrating a socialist group at this point in history? That's not any huge stretch of the imagination. Anyway, the courtship between Lisa Phillip and Lawrence Layton was a very weird one. She is universally described as being an absolute smoke show. People compare her to Hedy Lamar a bunch. Google it. Despite all this, Lawrence wasn't all that interested in her. He found her too aggressive and arrogant. He also said this at one point in an interview. We would take walks, and I noticed that she would step on the ants. My God, what do you do that for, I asked. She said it's strange, but in Germany I learned to hate weak things. I can't help myself. Things like this shocked me. Now remember, this is a woman who claimed to have fled Germany because she was Jewish and would be killed by the Nazis. Does that quote match that backstory, or does it match the backstory presented in this book? Hey, you decide. But she still pursued him, aggressively, like as if she needed to marry the guy for some reason. And she wasn't the only one. Dr. James Frank and her, by this point, ex-boyfriend, Franz Werner, were also very vocal in their support of the idea that these two should get married. And it worked, but only after she threatened to commit suicide. Because you see, Lawrence Baird Layton had an ex-girlfriend who committed suicide. And he took that very hard, and he felt like some of the responsibility for that was on him. So having another girlfriend now threatening to commit suicide if you don't marry her, it's an emotional trap, if nothing else. And on October 18th, 1941, the two were married after having known each other for six months. Not long after that, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, so Lawrence Layton was surely going to be drafted, but Lisa Phillip arranged a deferment for him by having her uncle, Dr. Frank, offer Layton a job on the Manhattan Project. That's right, Dr. James Frank, who escaped from Nazi Germany, ended up on the Manhattan Project. So if he was here on a secret figure-out-how-to-build-a-bomb mission for the Nazis, it worked. And it's worth noting The announcement that we were ready to drop a bomb on a motherfucker happened a few short days after the Nazis surrendered, meaning there was no chance that bomb was going to be dropped on them. Convenient. So after his war jobs end, Dr. Layton moves on to a job as a chemistry professor at the University of Maryland, and he and Lisa Phillip crank out a couple of kids, Thomas and Annalisa Layton. Annalisa is an interesting point also when it comes to this backstory that Lisa Philip was Jewish and had to flee Germany as a result. Because Annalisa was named after one of Lisa's friends, Annalisa Schmidt, who was killed in a British bombing raid in Germany. According to the family's own records, Lisa Philip Layton and Annalisa Schmidt corresponded regularly by mail after Lisa fled Germany. But here's a question. How? There was no postal service between America and Germany at the time correspondence was not allowed. That was especially true if you were the wife and niece of two of America's top nuclear scientists, which at this point she was, but somehow she still managed to keep in contact by mail with her friend in Nazi Germany. Crazy, huh? In 1946, Lisa Philip Layton and Dr. Lawrence Baird Layton have a third child, Lawrence John Layton, who was named after his father and who we'll be referring to as Larry from now on 
Dr. Layton is the dad. Larry's his son. And this is the same Larry Layton who would go on to be the lone person charged with a crime as a result of the Jonestown massacre. But even then, the connections between this one family of potential Nazis and Jonestown don't end there. In 1951, Dr. Lawrence Layton took a job with the U.S. Army as Chief of the Chemical Warfare Division. He worked at the Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah, overseeing chemical weapons experiments, including a bunch involving the same nerve gas that his father-in-law, the aforementioned Hugo Phillip, helped develop for the Nazis at IG Farben. And here's a quote from Dr. Layton about the use of chemical weapons from around this time. And I think it's an important quote because it goes a long way toward revealing what this guy's mindset was like, just as a person and as a scientist. Here we go. Quote, You can blow people to bits with bombs. You can shoot them with shells. You can atomize them with atomic bombs. That's considered moral. But the same people think there's something terrible about poisoning the air and letting people breathe it. Anything having to do with gas warfare, chemical warfare, has this taint of horror on it. Even if you only make people vomit. It's all right to kill somebody in war, but it's not all right to make him vomit or make him silly. Actually, it's one of the most humane types of warfare, if you want to compare it to other types. I'm not apologizing for chemical warfare. I'm just saying that the prejudice against chemical weapons in favor of conventional and atomic weapons is absurd. Hmm. Agree to disagree, Dr. Layton. Conventional weapons kill you fast. I'd way rather be shot in the head than have nerve agents spread on my face by the contestants of a North Korean prank video show. But anyway, a weird thing happens after Dr. Layton took this job. His mother-in-law, Anita Phillip, took her own life. And boy, did she leave behind an interesting suicide note. Here goes. My friends, know that I, free and proper, am a good American. But I was a gossip and have been entangled in a network of intrigue. I no longer have the strength to free myself from it. Forget me not, my beloved children and family, and you, Hugo, forgive me. Live well, all of you loved mankind so well. Worth noting here, this death is super duper similar to the death covered in the documentary Wormwood. And the theory put forth in that documentary is that the CIA actually threw the subject of that documentary out of a window because he was going to go public with information about the United States using chemical weapons in the Korean War. And also the mother of one of our top scientists in that field also happened to die in the same way. Probably just a coincidence. So Dr. Layton works for the Army for a couple years, and then spends a few years doing chemistry stuff for the Navy. And then in 1957, he takes a research scientist position with the USDA's Western Regional Research Laboratory and moves to Berkeley, California. In 1961, his last research project about breakthroughs in testing human food allergies using monkeys instead of humans is published. And according to the theory put forth in this book, the reason his work after that wasn't published is because his work after that was heading up a massive experiment in ethnic weaponry that came to be known as Jonestown. So let's talk about this theory that Dr. Lawrence Layton was tasked with carrying out the Jonestown program. That's a wild claim, especially when you consider that history has portrayed Dr. Lawrence Layton as someone who simply lost his entire family to the seductions of a madman cult leader. Either way, the connections between Dr. Layton, his family, and Jonestown are very real. For starters, we mentioned on the first Jonestown episode that the inspiration for Jones moving the People's Temple to Ukiah, California, was a 1962 Esquire article about the safest places to hide from a nuclear blast. Dr. Layton also read that article, as evidenced by a letter he wrote to Tom and Annalisa while they were students at UC Davis, urging them to also move to that area until the Cuban Missile Crisis subsided. And by that point, three of the four Layton kids had left home with all of them attending the same college, UC Davis. And around this same time, Dr. Layton's wife, Lisa Phillip Layton, decides to take her first job since marrying Lawrence. And that job was with the CIA. 
She was assigned to monitor the massive collection of leftist and third world publications at the Berkeley Library and send anything she found worth knowing on to the agency. Now, here's where the claims in the book get especially bold. As it goes, sometime between 1963 and 1965, the CIA approached Dr. Lawrence Layton about a problem facing America. Angry black citizens. Because at this point in history, the civil rights era and all the protests and unrest that came with it was well underway. And the CIA, allegedly, was tasked with exploring any and all solutions to stop all of that. So to that end, Dr. Layton was put in charge of developing a large-scale field test to evaluate the effects of various drugs to find out which ones were the best at altering the behavior of black people. And because this was to be a highly top-secret mission, it was decided that the most obvious choice in terms of a team to help Dr. Layton carry this out was his wife, Lisa Philip Layton, who was already working for the CIA, and their children, who were all studying to be scientists themselves. Again, sounds crazy, but keep in mind, we're talking about a guy who built his career on coming up with new and exciting ways to kill lots of people. And also a guy who came from and married into families that seemed to have a lot of gusto for the idea of keeping bloodlines pure. If anyone was going to head up a project like this, it probably would be him and Jim Jones, obviously. Because of his talent for inspiring black people with his words, including an alleged incident in Guyana where he incited black people to riot, kicking off violence that eventually toppled the government and put America's preferred leader, Forbes Burnham, in charge of Guyana. Because of all that, Jim Jones, according to the book, was chosen as the face of this project, and Dr. Lawrence Layton was the -the behind-the-scenes scientist pulling all the strings. That's the basic theory here, that Dr. Lawrence Layton, in conjunction with his family and Jim Jones, carried out Jonestown as a medical experiment. History has painted it a different way, which is that Dr. Lawrence Layton was a victim of Jim Jones and lost his family to a cult leader. And indeed, lots and lots of Dr. Layton's family members not only end up in Jonestown, but end up in Jonestown in high-level leadership positions. That definitely happened. That's what this episode is about. The only real question is whether Dr. Lawrence Baird Layton tragically lost his wife and family to the charms of a cult leader, or did he and his family work together in conjunction with that cult leader to see what happens when you lure a bunch of black people to the jungle to act as unwitting medical experiment subjects? That is the most important question, and one that we'll almost certainly never be able to answer, especially since the Biden administration doesn't seem to mind at all that the Supreme Court just put extra limits on the scope of the Freedom of Information Act. Did you know that? But it really is the pivotal question in all of this. Because as we're about to learn, the rest of the Layton family was very involved in Jonestown. Take Larry Layton, for example. While in college, he met and eventually married a woman named Carolyn Moore. And as luck would have it, the stars aligned perfectly. Her father... John Moore was a Methodist minister who also happened to be a very vocal supporter of Jim Jones, both at the time and after the public learned about the Jonestown massacre. He, according to this theory, acted as a buffer between Dr. Layton and Jim Jones. Seeing as how Dr. Layton was a government employee, he couldn't deal with Jim Jones directly when the two needed to communicate. What happens if some nosy looky-loo sees those two talking in public people are going to have questions but no one's going to question jim jones meeting with another religious guy now let's take a commentary break here you know what this is starting to remind me of a little bit the critically acclaimed smash hit fx television series the americans if you've never seen it that's about a seemingly normal mild-mannered american couple who were actually soviet spies whose entire existence was made up to fool the enemy Except here, instead of Russians, it's Nazis, and the enemy is black Americans. 
You know the Americans is based on real events, right? The U.S. busted a 10-person Russian spy ring in 2010 that consisted of nothing but sleeper agents who'd completely integrated into American society because that's exactly what they were raised to do. The only reason that show is based in the 80s, according to the creator of the show, is because by the time it came out in 2013, no one in America considered our relationship with Russia to be contentious enough for something like that to even happen. So they set it in the 80s, an era when our relationship was very famously strained, to say the least. If you read your history books, you'll know that a whole lot of Nazis escaped to places like Argentina, and a whole lot more were brought to the United States. Do you think they all just decided to stop believing Nazi shit upon setting foot on American soil? Again, one of the early arguments presented in this book is that we didn't beat the Nazis. We just agreed to stop fighting so we could team up to fight communism on the sly. And what's happening here with the Leighton family in Jonestown is really feeling like part of that team-up to me. I still think the timeline of some of the alleged Nazi activity on the part of the parents is sketchy, but also the connections are already kind of alarming. Another pivotal question here, before we get too much further away from the point where I should have asked it, did Dr. James really defect, or did the Nazis low-key send him here? Because if they did, that alone knocks down a lot of dominoes. That's a direct line from the Nazis to Dr. Frank, who is a direct line to the Philip family, who eventually merges with the Leighton family, also under the watchful eye of Dr. Frank, and one of them marries into the Moore family, whose patriarch is a friend and supporter of Jim Jones. And now we're back to where we were before I started comparing this to what is possibly my favorite television show of all time, which I cannot recommend highly enough if you've never watched it. We're back to Larry Layton and Carolyn Moore. Shortly after marrying, they pack up and move to Ukiah to join the People's Temple. The book says it's suggested by Carolyn, which would kind of shoot a hole in the theory that Jonestown was an experiment carried out by the Layton family. The book literally says the CIA prefers to work with families, and Larry Layton was in college at the same time as his other siblings, so it would stand to reason that he'd be in on the plan with the rest of the family band. So I don't know why Carolyn Moore would have had to even suggest this. That said, the book also mentions that Larry Layton was kind of the disappointment of the family. He didn't perform as well in school as his siblings, had a bunch of mental illness issues starting way back when he was a kid. So if we are talking about for real Nazis, one thing we know is that there isn't a lot of room for mediocrity and instability in their vision of the master race. That's why the son of that guy had to die in that show. You know the one. That was a real thing. Before the Nazis started gassing Jews, they practiced on the physically and mentally ill citizens in general, Jewish or otherwise. They were considered a drain on society and a threat to the purity of the Aryan bloodline. So if you're wondering if a dad would arrange for the lesser of his children to be the canary in the coal mine that was the Jonestown experiment, and the sole scapegoat when it was all over, the answer is, yeah, if he's a Nazi, he totally would. There's also a curious story that Larry has talked about himself where, because the Vietnam War was in full swing, Larry Layton was at risk of being drafted. His request to be considered a conscientious objector due to his association with the nonviolent Quakers was repeatedly rejected. But the thing that finally turned the tide in his favor Jim Jones offered to dictate a letter that would guarantee him conscientious objector status. And he did, and as if by magic, that letter worked. But, you know, probably just because Jim Jones was a really persuasive speaker, or whatever. That certainly wasn't part of any plan, I'm sure. From that point on, most of Larry Layton's time inside the People's Temple in Jonestown plays right into the idea that he was the sacrificial lamb of the experiment. For starters, Jim Jones took his wife, Carolyn Moore, got her pregnant, and forced the two to divorce. And it's mentioned in the book that this happened after Jones had sex with one of them. In other sources, it's been suggested that he forced Larry to have sex with a man, possibly Jim Jones, while Carolyn watched. That said, he does let Larry pick a new wife from the People's Temple, though. So that's nice of him. And then Jim Jones does the exact damn thing. 
Because that other source I just mentioned, the New York Times. Here's a quote. Friends of Larry Layton recall that Mr. Jones took both Carolyn and Karen, his second wife, from him after having the women watch him force Larry to submit to a homosexual act. And despite all that, not only did Larry Layton stay in the People's Temple, when things finally went off the rails, he was one of the people who started shooting to protect Jim Jones. Even his eventual prosecution includes some really lucky breaks that kind of imply he had at least some level of protection from the government. Like how he was only tried for shooting the two Jonestown defectors he shot in Guyana, where he was found not guilty despite presenting no defense of any sort to counter the eyewitness testimony of the people he shot. Still got off on that charge. It took another three years for him to be charged in connection to the shooting of Leo Ryan. And once again, despite lots of eyewitness testimony that said he was part of the team sent to assassinate Leo Ryan, his first trial ended in a mistrial after the jury deadlocked at 11 to 1 in favor of acquittal. Interesting quote from the local press around that time that is also quoted in the Jonestown book. Survivors of the carnage insist the real story has yet to be told. They maintain there must be an epilogue, one that would include an investigation of the government's involvement at Jonestown. And for the record, that was also Larry Layton's defense at his trial, that he was the scapegoat for a CIA experiment gone awry. In other words, immediately and for years after it happened, a lot of people were suggesting that the CIA was involved in Jonestown. Here's another quote from Jim Cobb, a Jonestown survivor who testified at the trial. There is a cover-up involved in People's Temple and Jonestown that will make Watergate look innocent. We've got to get to the bottom of this and let the truth be told. Commentary break. I fully accept that this theory is very much towing, if not completely crossing the line, into victim blaming, especially when it comes to Dr. Layton. If you're having that same sinking feeling... Let me tell you why this isn't the same as, say, Sandy Hook, which is another theory that gets way, way, way into victim blaming. The difference here is everything I just said about Larry Layton and his eventual criminal defense. He was there, and he says the CIA was involved. An aide to Leo Ryan, who was present when Leo Ryan was killed, said the CIA was involved, which we'll talk about a lot later. There were Jonestown survivors quoted shortly after the massacre, saying the CIA was involved. You don't have any of that with Sandy Hook. There are no rogue parents or teachers coming out of the woodworks to say there's more about Sandy Hook than we know. But in this case, it seems like more than a few victims agree with the conspiracy theory too. And stuff like that matters. Another good example is James Earl Ray. He was arrested and charged with killing Martin Luther King Jr., spent the rest of his life in prison for it, even though he always maintained he was innocent. You know who else agreed that he was innocent? MLK's family. And speaking of families, let's get back to the Layton family. Larry Layton was the first member of the family to join the People's Temple, but he wasn't the only one. In fact, every member of that family had some sort of high-level involvement in Jonestown. So let's run through a few more, which I'll try to do as quickly as possible, and then we'll end things by talking about the most important Layton family Jonestown connection of all. First, Annalisa Layton, Larry's sister. Her involvement in the People's Temple was brief, about six months. But during that time, she was one of Jim Jones' top aides. She left, conveniently enough, right before the People's Temple packed up and moved to Guyana. And according to the Myers book, she doesn't surface again in the story until about six months before the massacre when she sends a plane ticket to her sister Deborah, who was living at Jonestown. And let's talk about Deborah. She is the baby of the family, kind of a problem child from a behavioral standpoint. She finally straightened out after her parents sent her to a Quaker boarding school in England. And while she was there, she met and fell in love with a guy named George Phil Blakey. What a nickname. How does a nickname like Phil even happen? Is it maybe F-I-L-L and they're just assuming it's spelled P-H-I-L? What did he fill to get that nickname? Anyway, during a summer break, she returns to California to stay with her family. And that's when she meets Jim Jones. 
And the two of them keep in touch when she returns to England. And eventually she talks to Phil about Jim Jones, who weirdly enough already knew a bunch about him. So after graduation, Deborah and Phil return to the U.S. and they join the People's Temple. In 1973, they're both appointed to the People's Temple's Planning Commission. These were the elites at Jonestown. The guards, the aides, the medical technicians. Jonestown middle management, if you will. They were easy to differentiate from the lower-level Jonestown residents who were forced into slave labor, basically, because those people were mostly black and all of the elites were white. Go figure. Now, in the name of not wearing you out with all the details, let's just say Deborah Layton eventually becomes the CFO of Jonestown. She was in charge of the money, and there was lots of it. Deborah Layton is actually one of the most notorious and famous figures from Jonestown because she was involved right up until the very end and then manages to escape and gets treated like a victim. Even though, as we're learning right now, she was one of those top-level people. She wasn't being subjugated at the People's Temple or at Jonestown. She was helping to subjugate people. Even if she was talked into that by Jim Jones, still. So, like I said, she was in charge of the money, and there was a lot of money. We'll get into it more later, but among other sources, the People's Temple was flush with cash on account of how a lot of the members received Social Security money from the state which they promptly handed over to the temple. That's one of the saddest details I've come across in all the reading I've done about this, and one that also points to possible government involvement of some sort, if you ask me. At one point, a bunch of People's Temple members somehow managed to get jobs at California welfare offices, and those are the people who did the majority of the recruiting. So whoever did it, this was a really insidious scheme that centered mostly around victimizing the most vulnerable people they could find. Oh, and there were also somewhere around 150 kids who were taken in by Jonestown who were previously considered wards of the state of California. The state placed them with Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Pretty suspicious, pretty tragic, and Deborah Layton handled all that money. That was her role. And she survived, by the way. You can still see her giving talks on YouTube and whatnot. As for Phil Blakey, she married him in 1972. The book claims it was just so he could stay in the country and keep working on the Jonestown Project with Jim Jones and Dr. Layton. And he does. He eventually goes on to be the guy who literally builds Jonestown. Like, goes to Guyana, clears the jungle, oversees the construction. Except, when he was doing that, it was also part of a CIA operation called Project Shalom that trained black Vietnam vets to be mercenaries. That's not made up. It's a real thing. We're probably going to do an entire bonus episode about Project Shalom. But for now, let's stay focused on the Layton family. Deborah Layton was the money person. Her husband, Phil, was the builder. As for that rumor that they only married so he could stay in the country, shortly after the Jonestown massacre, their marriage was annulled on the grounds that it was never consummated. Decide for yourself. So now we've got three Layton family members, if you count Deborah's husband, already involved in Jonestown. One of them is the person who did the shooting at the end. One of them is, again, for all intents and purposes, the chief financial officer of Jonestown. And one of them, Deborah's husband, is the guy who built Jonestown. And again, we're talking about a family with some very uncomfortable ties to the Nazis. And we are not done with their involvement in Jonestown. There's also Thomas Layton. He was the oldest child writer of the family. He was tasked with compiling an ethnography of the People's Temple. That, of course, say it with me, everybody, is a study of the characteristics of various peoples and the differences and relationships between them. Here's the thing. One thing I love about our audience, I have no doubt that someone did say that with me. It's not clear if that ethnography was ever finished, but if it was, the CIA probably took it and classified it right away. After the massacre, though, Thomas Layton did write a book about Jonestown that, according to Michael Myers, was mostly accurate, but also went to really weird lengths to paint the entire family as being homosexual, just like their cover story for coming to the country was going to say, if it ever came to light, that they weren't actually Jewish. Neat. And now let's talk about arguably the most important Layton family member with connections to Jonestown, Lisa Philip Layton. 
the mom. You know, the one who worked for the CIA a while back in the day. She was first introduced to Jim Jones through her son, Larry, in the 1960s. But she didn't join the People's Temple until 1973. And again, there are two ways that history has viewed Lisa Philip Layton's involvement in Jonestown. One, she was the final member of the Layton family to be seduced by Jim Jones, leaving Dr. Layton penniless and familyless, a victim of Jim Jones. Or some people view her as the Layton family member who swoops in at the last moment to provide cover for everyone else. Here's what happens. She joins the People's Temple in 1973. Shortly after she did, she divorced Dr. Layton and gave all the cash and property she got in that divorce to Jim Jones. Dr. Layton would later claim that she also had offshore accounts full of money that her rich father had been sending her and that those were also drained to finance Jonestown, which is weird since according to the official cover story, the family fortune was lost during World War II. Anyway, at Jonestown, Lisa lived in the guest house outside the complex that was used for visiting dignitaries and things of the like. So again, very upper echelon member of the People's Temple. Further proof of that is that she sent a bunch of letters to people back home during her 11 months in Jonestown. She didn't go to Jonestown itself until 11 months before the massacre happened. She was in the People's Temple since 1973. And then at the last minute, she shows up at Jonestown. And what she's accused of in this book is pretty wild. Basically, the claim is that she faked her death. And I think it kind of makes some sense, because keep in mind, we're talking about someone who's getting to live in the house that is reserved for dignitaries. She's an important person at Jonestown. So does it seem like she's the kind of person who, if she died, they would just forget where they buried her? Because that's the story. So here's what happened. After Deborah Layton very publicly defected from Jonestown, which the book claims was actually a stunt designed to entice Leo Ryan into coming to Jonestown, more on that later. But anyway, after that happened, Lisa Philip Layton radioed a formal statement to the press in which she called Deborah a drug addict who stole from the temple to support her drug habit and called her ex-husband an anti-Semite. Do you see what she did there? With that one radio statement, Lisa Philip Layton officially distanced her ex-husband, Dr. Lawrence Layton, and her daughter, Deborah, from any involvement in what happened at Jonestown. With that one address to the press, her daughter, at the very least, who was seriously involved in Jonestown, like handling the money involved, with that one radio address, Lisa Philip Layton almost entirely clears Deborah Layton of any involvement, at least in the eyes of the press, and very much shields Dr. Lawrence Layton from any scrutiny that might have come from the fact that he used to be one of the nation's top chemical warfare researchers with lots of ties to the intelligence community, and now his entire family is participating in an operation that lots of people think the CIA is involved in, and his family is participating at the very highest levels, meaning they're not going to suffer that much from their participation. It's pretty convenient. And this is the point where the world starts hearing about the Layton family and the tragedy that had befallen them. So before the massacre even happened, the people who helped bring Jonestown to life started distancing themselves from it very publicly. As for Lisa herself, the official story is that she died of cancer and was buried somewhere inside Jonestown, but no one ever said where or bothered looking for her. When Deborah defected, she presented a letter to Leo Ryan that, among other things, asked that he pass along a message to her mom, Lisa, which implies that the family thought she was still there and alive, unless Deborah did that to provide cover for her mom, Lisa, because Leo Ryan does take that letter and when he gets to Jonestown, he starts looking for Lisa Philip Layton. And that is when he and allegedly the family find out that, whoops, she died. She died on October 30th, 18 short days before the Jonestown massacre. And they just buried her out in the yard somewhere and no one knows where. Really? The woman who was staying by herself in the dignitary house 
died of cancer and you just buried her in the yard? A woman who'd been in constant contact with her family this whole time. Not once does she fire off a letter and say, hey, I think it's coming. I think I'm going to die. That seems strange, right? And I think you can see where the, the theory is going from here. It's that Lisa Philip Layton didn't die. She just escaped after providing cover for Dr. Layton and Deborah to separate themselves from Jonestown. And if that was the plan, it worked. Because again, the only Layton who faced any sort of repercussions for any of this was Larry Layton. And if you're wondering, he's since been released from prison, way back in 2002. He wasn't just the only Layton to face charges, he was the only person to face charges at all. And please remember, his main defense eventually became that he was the scapegoat for a CIA project gone awry. And what's interesting about his trial is that he was charged with conspiracy, but also he was the only person tried. Conspiracy obviously implies the involvement of several people. Some of them were his siblings, especially Deborah, who was alive and well and hit in the lecture circuit by this point. But because of that radio address from her mother, everyone viewed her as a victim as opposed to a participant. So she was never charged with anything. Neither were the other gunmen who participated in the Leo Ryan ambush, even though we knew who they were and knew that they survived. Why would they not arrest those people? Well, one obvious explanation is that they didn't want anything those people might have revealed or that their lawyers might uncover about government involvement getting entered into the record. The way you do that is by having one loyal participant take the fall, like when one of Jay-Z's friends stabbed a guy in a club and Jay-Z went to prison for it. But in reverse, everyone else in the Layton family not only escaped, but they escaped with the sympathy of the American public. Or think of it this way. When Jonestown was finally over, all of the people who planned it and made it happen escaped, while most of the people they lorded over during their time there died. I know what you're going to say, though. Not Jim Jones. Except also Jim Jones is known to have used body doubles. There's a weird incident from his history where, during his time in Brazil, a trip he was only able to take after obtaining a passport, obviously, he was issued another passport in the United States while he was in Brazil. Who was that? Who picked that up? He didn't fly back from Brazil just to apply for another passport so he could fly back to Brazil. That would be mighty silly. So who was that other passport for? And what really happened to Jim Jones after the Jonestown Massacre? That is all stuff we're going to get into on a future episode. As for now, I think I've talked enough. We've run through a lot of history about the Layton family. Again, I gave you the link. You can go read the book for yourself. There's a lot more information about this. This is possibly the longest chapter in the book. Go read it for yourself. And a thing I rarely say decide for yourself. Personally, I'm still on the side of the Layton family having involvement in this that didn't involve them being seduced into it. But hey, we'll talk about all of that a little more a little later. Until then, I don't I don't I don't think I have anything to plug. It's always weird plugging stuff on solo episodes. I never know how to end solo episodes. What like I'm not going to give a conclusion like I came to a conclusion, you know what this was about. So I'm I usually just ramble aimlessly for a couple seconds until I finally say uh thanks everybody. Goodbye. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>